Welcome to the Fish Cast. Today, we once again have a great show on the docket. In segment one, we're going to discuss FSU's recent spring scrimmage on Saturday. In our second segment, we go into the IMG 7-on-7 tournament, which was played both Saturday and Sunday. In our third segment, we are going to discuss Dan Mullen and if he's closing the gap on the University of Georgia Bulldogs. We're also going to discuss the rankings of each Florida coach in the state of Florida. In our final segment, we're going to talk about the tournament, college basketball. Welcome, everybody, to the FishCast, the latest edition of the FishCast. My name is Corey Long. I am your host, joined by the director of scouting, recruiting, talent, etc., etc., of Elite Scouting Services, Charles Fishbean. How are you today, Charles? I feel a lot better today than yesterday. That, that ride to Bradington and back, I probably should have just called you up and stayed at your house last night. Yeah, yeah, man. You should have just crashed here. I'm not that far away. Uh, uh, I don't have, I got a couch. I just bought, you know, I bought a couch. Like I, I moved into a new, bought a place of several weeks ago. My bed, the bed from the master bedroom won't arrive until like April around tax day. But I have a couch and it's like brand new, firm, sleepable couch. So absolutely, you should have uh, stopped by. Um, but anyway, we'll talk a little bit more about your trip to Bradenton. Also joined by former linebackers and secondary coach for Rutgers, NC State, Hawaii. I think he was at Lehigh for a second and some other places. Coach Chris Demaris, how you doing, coach? Coach, doing good. Thank you. Bradenton, great place. The home of Peter Warwick. That's right. Peter Warwick, Bradenton Southeast player. And Tommy Frazier went to Manatee High School. Uh, among others, many great players have come out of Manatee County. Uh, we're going to start off this week, and we'll, we'll get real quickly, we'll get to um, your trip to Bradenton for the IMG 7 on 7 Southeast Regionals. But I wanted to start this week. We got several different things to talk about. First thing is, let's talk about some real football. <clears throat> Florida State held their first spring scrimmage on Saturday. Uh, typical reports, you know, the reports are going to be a little bit more sunshiny than the way it really was. But from what I gathered from the reports is that Jordan Travis seems to have a slight leg up in the quarterback competition. Um, they're really banged up at a lot of positions. A Chubba Purdy, who's their third string ish quarterback is going to be out for the spring. Demory Tate, who's probably their most promising player on that roster, is going to be out three to four months. Uh, Leonard Warner was on a walking scooter. They're, they're, they're still pretty banged up. Um, big news was walk-on running back Treshawn Ward out of Tampa Bay Tech had a huge day. Um, Fabian Lovett, a transfer portal kid that came over last season from Mississippi State, seem to emerge as if there's going to be a guy on their defensive front that could be the guy you point out that's got the most potential. It might be him. Um, overall, Fish, you you actually went a little deeper. You talked to some of the FSU guys. What did you think when you were reading the reports? What did you hear from them? 
I get the reports that that from what I gather is that this is a team that is in full rebuild mode. And I know that's very difficult for a lot of Seminole fans to grasp because, you know, the one thing is they've been very fortunate with both Bobby and uh, Jimbo. They really never over a 40 year period, never really had a rebuild, you know, Florida state a six and six in Bobby's final year and a bowl win over West Virginia was a low point. Um, the last couple years has been, took it to another low point. And from a talent standpoint, this is not a very talented team. Now, are they going to be better coached? Are they going to be uh, more, the schemes, are they going to understand what the schemes are? Are the players are going to know where they're going to be? Are the players buying in? All the good, all the things that you want from a team that's not super talented, those things exist. They are they look a lot better. Supposedly the penalties are way down and even the scrimmages and practices. So that part of it's there, but the biggest issue is their leading rusher in a spring scrimmage was a walk on running back, Trayshawn Ward, who ran for 130 something yards, I believe had two touchdowns. And this isn't a knock on Ward because Ward could have played division one football at another school, gone to Marshall, gone to, uh, Lafayette gone to Louisiana Monroe or some, one of the other Sun Belt or MAC conference schools and had a pretty good career. But this is your leading rusher in a spring game, a <clears throat> spring scrimmage. And you have to question whether one, is he that good or is the defense that bad or is the situation just bad all around? And, and you know, I think as a fan base, I think you have to step back a little bit and, and lower the expectations and understand that it's going to take time to get this thing back to what Florida state fans are used to. And it's not a knock on the coaching staff. It's not a knock. It's just reality. This is the hand they're dealt. And yeah, a lot of these players are their players, but they're still, it's at Demo will tell you at the end of the day, scheme is great. Players matter more players matter more. You know, you could be Bill Belichick. You could be uh, Bill Walsh. And if you don't have the players and Belichick showed last year with the Patriots, when you don't have a quarterback or that quarterback position is an issue, then you have a, you have a lot to overcome. And this is a team that, you know, they brought in McKenzie Milton and everybody got all excited about McKenzie Milton. Well, one, he doesn't know the scheme or the offense that well. And two, he's struggling. His strength was, you know, I know a lot of Seminole fans think his strength was, a thrower and he threw for a lot of yards, but his main strength is running and he's still not a hundred percent back. And that, that affects you mentally throwing the football as well, because you're not trusting your legs and that's where your power comes from. That's where your ability to throw the ball down the field comes from. So this is a team that is in transition and, and they've got a lot of question marks uh, from my understanding, the wide receiver position and the D tackle position. Uh, they, they need some reinforcements. And I mean, when Destin Hill, your freshman wide receiver, who's never stepped on campus, is basically expected to come in and possibly take, you know, one of those wide receiver spots as well as Andrew Parchment, that should tell you what they think of the receiver position. Um, so well, we'll see what happens, but they have a lot of holes to fill, and that's why they have spring football. Well, you know, you have to have a nucleus in order to be good, and you can surround that nucleus with so-called subpar players, if they play out of their out of their minds to help that team. But the nice thing about Florida State, help is on the way through recruiting. 
And what's, what you're going to find happen is some of these positions in the spring that are filled with some of these players, when you come out of spring, then go into fall camp with the help that's supposed to be coming in, you're going to find some of these position changes will be different. So it, it's funny. I, I'm a big believer in knowing your team coming out of spring. But if you're really that not as good as you used to be, then some of these young kids you're bringing in are going to have to step into this role and, 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 and unfortunately play immediately. You know, not have time to sit there and try to gain experience. They're going to have to play right away. So with help being on the way and with these kids coming in, you're going to see some different things, I think, in the fall than even you did in the spring. Now, Coach, I want to – all right, so take me back. Let's go Let's let's go 2001 NC State. You had already spent a year there. It was Chuck's first year. You know, kind of – what were you looking for – in spring of 01, with everybody have been there for a year, you know what you got coming in recruiting wise. What are you looking for in that second in that in that second spring heading into that second year and that first scrimmage? Like, are you trying to play a lot of guys? Do you have a better idea where guys fit? Are you running a lot of guys in a lot of different positions? Are you still trying to get a lot of questions answered? What what are you doing? So what happens is you come into February, and I believe that first spring, you're talking about the second spring, I think, but that first spring, which is very ironic, is Philip Rivers came in as an early enrollee in January. And when we time we got out of spring practice, we know he was going to be the starting quarterback the following year. So as you know who your quarterback is, then it's a lot easier to place people in positions around your quarterback and go recruiting because you know you have one for the next four years. When you don't know who your quarterback is and what kind of offense technically you're going to run, then recruiting becomes, I got to grab the best player to fit in any position that I need at that particular time. So what happens is when you go into the second spring, you're there for a full year. You have an idea who's coming back. You have an idea of the kids you need to recruit to bring in. Some some may be early enrollees that you could fit in right away. But then coming into that full camp, there's always going to be a couple surprises. There's always going to be one or two kids that come in that surprise you and are ready to play right away. So I think that's what you're going to happen at Florida State. What you're going to see happen is some of these kids that are coming in in fall are good enough to play right away. Now, they might make some young mistakes early on, but they're talented enough to make up for that. I, I, I want to jump in and ask Demo a question. You know, talking about spring ball. All right, so Florida State the other day, had Trayshawn Ward, who's a walk-on running back. He he led the running back uh, room in, in rushes. Do they, they you know, Lawrence Toafili is one of the backups. He he had a, a nice freshman year. Uh, Corbin got rung last year. Are they, I, I know you can't answer for the Florida State coaches, but are they taking those guys and basically, you think almost like shutting them down uh, a little bit in a scrimmage like this and let other guys have opportunities and maybe those guys end up starting, but this guy's just getting a chance because they don't want to get those guys banged up in a scrimmage. That's a very good possibility fish, because what you don't want to do is get injuries in the spring. You know, remember I said the, uh, the episode before this, that you protect your quarterback in the spring, but you let a lot of your other players compete for positions. But when you're thin at those other positions and you have to rely on some of the kids, you don't want to get them hurt. So then you allow other people to get more reps in practice. And I think that's what you're seeing right now in Florida State. They do have help coming in. It's going to be young help. We know that. But what you have to do is it's a risk reward for you in the spring. Do you, do you risk somebody getting hurt? Or do you want to see exactly what they could do? Or do you already know what they could do? 
So you might not want to give other reps to somebody else. So I think it's a catch-22 because you want to come out of spring having a nucleus of what your team's going to be like for the fall. But if you're in a situation like Florida State where you're relying on a lot of these kids coming in to play positions for you, then it'll be a little different. Could, could they be a better team this year but it not showing the record? I think they could be. You know, you, you, I'll say this. When I was at Rutgers one year, we the – we, we beat Michigan State in the first year I was there and then lost in New Hampshire the next week. Well, the next year we go to Illinois and we lose to Illinois and Illinois, but I felt better coming out of the Illinois game with a loss than I did coming out of the Michigan State game the year before with a win. So, yes, sometimes you could say we're a better football team. Our record might not show it, but we're a better football team and this is going to pay off in the future. Well... I'm always at the Bill Parcells school. You are what your record says you are. But I get what both of you are, are saying about that. Um, and I a fellow my, Jersey guy, Bill Parcells, I agree 100% what he's saying. You are who you are with your record. I guess my concerns, I guess I have two concerns. Is One, I don't know if they're good enough to give a bunch of reps to, you know, walk-ons and try to avoid people getting hurt. A lot of people are hurt already. And, I mean, they, this, is, this is a team that we got to – this is a team that still has questionable toughness. We're going to say that much. And my other concern is physically, they don't look like a Florida State team that I'm used to seeing. Physically, they look small. They don't look big. They don't look strong. They don't look dominating. Like, even, you know, even back when you were at Florida State, and I thought they ran a little light on defense. You know, they weren't necessarily all big guys. Some guys were a little lighter so they could get that speed. You always had that length. You had that strength. You know, they might not have been as big as they could have been, but they were strong. You know, physically, they could, they could physically dominate the kid in front of them. I don't I don't see that with this group. I don't see, see when that. you're at a Florida State or a big power five school, you almost need to recruit ready-made kids. And when I was at Florida State, we recruited a lot of ready-made kids. You just have to, you know, do a little bit of this or a little bit of that. You all see the conditioning program, whether it be the weight room, et cetera. But a lot of those kids come in as ready-made kids. You just got to gotta enhance them and continue to develop a little bit on the football field. And the weight room just adds to that. But you don't, at Florida State, you don't get a kid and say, okay, in three years, this kid's going to be something. No, you need that kid to, to get on the roster and play almost within a year or two at Florida State. And I think that's what they've missed over the last couple of years. And they're trying to do that now, but it's going to take time. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's... You, I went to, and we're going to discuss it later, but I was at IMG yesterday and forget, we'll talk about the seven on seven, but they had like two offensive linemen out there. And when I tell you these two kids look like grown men, like I, I just think the average fan doesn't understand like what a Florida state or an Al like the Alabama's the Florida States, the Florida's the Miami's the, the top programs, Ohio States, those kids look different when you see them in high school, they look like grown men. They don't look like they need to go to college and get in a weight program. I, I, I will never forget the first time I walked on the field and I saw Sean Taylor and I saw uh, those guys at University of Miami and they were bigger than the seniors without working out. They were bigger than the seniors. I'm like, oh, wow, Miami's going to be pretty good in three years. Like the elite level kids look different. And I saw him yesterday at IMG standing in the middle of the field. One kid was from Pennsylvania. These kids look like they were three years in college already. They're just physically different. 
And that's the difference between a program like USF and UCF and a Florida State or a Miami is you're going to get that guy at USF that will eventually look like that Miami guy, like a JPP, but he needs two years in the weight program to get there where that guy at FSU or Miami or Alabama, they're walking in and the weight program's just enhancing what they already are. They, they don't need the weight room. It's just going to make them even better of what they are already. And that's the one thing that the average fan doesn't understand. There's guys like Lawrence Toa Philly is probably going to look like an NFL college running back in year three. He will be in that system, but he didn't look like it coming out of college. He didn't look like high school. He didn't look like Dalvin Cook. He didn't look like Devontae Freeman. He didn't look like uh, even Ward Dunn. While Ward Dunn was small, was Jack. People don't realize like how thick his legs were. He was had tree trunks for legs. And that's the thing is that the average fan just doesn't understand. They think, oh, it's about developing. It's about this. Yeah, all that stuff's great. Developing culture. Nah, nah, nah. The, when the guys look different, when they step on campus, and, and I'll never forget those young kids when Jimbo got them, when those freshmen that he was recruiting looked better than the seniors, you knew what was, the future was going to look bright. See, all you need to do is add and replace, add and replace. You don't need to come in and create a whole new person. You just need to add and replace to the people you already got, like Alabama's doing. I remember when I was at NC State, Coach Chuck Abadi used to say, I really don't want you recruiting anybody unless that person could beat Florida State. And at the time, Florida State was on the top of everything, right? So you don't recruit a kid unless you think that kid – and he didn't say go recruit a five-star. He just said, I want to make sure that kid can go out and compete and help us beat Florida State. And that's what you have to have the mentality of when you go out recruiting. You, you have to get better than what you have already, but they start to have to be ready-made kids, especially at the bigger programs you're at. You don't have a chance to come in and develop a kid for three or four years. You don't have that luxury. You don't have that time. Yeah. And Corey knows this for a fact. When Jimbo got to Florida State, and he, he was the assistant head coach and whatever, but when he became head coach, the one thing, because I know talking to some of the former coaches, was when he got there – Florida was on top with Urban Meyer. One, can this kid help us win the ACC? Two, can it help us beat Florida? Right now, if these kids can't, we're recruiting the wrong kids. And he changed the whole recruiting room based on what a kid looked physically. Florida had guys, they looked, the average guy at Florida was getting 30 pounds bigger at Florida, while at Florida State, when he was there, they were only getting 10 pounds bigger by the time they got on campus. He wanted bigger, stronger, faster kids, and that's what they recruited. And you saw the results two, three years later. They were beating teams that they weren't even competing with three years earlier. I mean, you could flip that roster over quicker when you recruit those level kids. It doesn't take long. Everybody thinks three, four years. It shouldn't take that long in a Florida State. You're recruiting a different animal. I mean, I saw one of the kids yesterday, the Travis Hunter kid, and there was another kid, Najella Kelly. These kids look different than what's on their campus right now. They just do. And you'll see the results when they step on campus and people are going to go, oh, man, they're really good as freshmen. Well, that's because they're recruiting a different level kid. You know, we've talked about the importance of the weight room, the importance of nutrition, and all that stuff that goes into be, becoming a great college program. And, yes, these strength coaches are valuable when they completely reform and reshape a person's body. But at these higher levels, and I hate to be redundant, but these higher level schools – you don't have the ability and the time and the, to, to afford the opportunity to go recruit a kid. It's going to take three or four years to be the great one. 
He has to be the great one within a year, almost coming in immediately. So all you do is do a little bit of uh, a twitching here or there with his, with his body, with the weight room and nutrition. And then all of a sudden there's that, there's that player. He's ready to go. So you're right. Recruiting is a big part of it. And then the strength coach down in the weight room, as we talked a couple segments ago, is very important as well. All right. And here's, a, here's some fun irony as I was listening to that. Uh, you were recruiting kids to beat Florida State at uh, NC State in 2001. You went up to Tallahassee and led by Ray Robinson. I was mm -hmm. actually at that game. That was my, I think that was, uh, it was 2001. So that would have been my 25th birthday, actually, that day. I went up there and watched you uh, beat Florida State, an upset victory. It was a very exciting game. I think it was 34 yeah. to 28, I think, was the final, something like that. I think in my four years at NC State, we were 2-4 and four against Coach Bowden. The first year, they spanked us. I mean, they yeah, came up the, the rally and spanked us. Yeah, that the was next year we won, and good. the next year we won, Close and then the last year I think we lost uh, at the very tail end of the game. But yeah. it became very competitive with NC State and Florida State when I was there. Yeah, the uh, 2001 game I remember was very good. The 2003 game, the double overtime game, was a classic. And yes. One that fans can definitely go on YouTube and still watch. Yeah. How much developing did Mario Williams need? Not that much. <laughs> Not much. Not much. Well, there's a few kids that we recruited over those years that really didn't do much development. They were ready to go. Well, listen, we're going to come right back as we get development. Charles will talk a little bit about his experience at the uh, 7 on 7 IMG Southeast Regional. And Coach D is going to tell us if, he even, if they even use 7 on 7 to evaluate kids. We'll be right back. Fish cast. We're talking a little seven on seven, a little skeleton football. Charles went to Bradenton yesterday, the IMG Academy for their seven on seven Southeast Regional, something I've actually taken part in as a coach and a GM of a seven on seven team in the past. It's fun time. It's a good time. A um, lot of great talent there normally. Tell us what you saw. What, what did you see? Who stood out to you? What was the event like? It's nice weather. Well, for, it was freezing when I first got there. It's like 50 right. degrees. Thank it's God. Like 95 degrees outside. Thank God I brought a sweatshirt because I would not have been happy. But I got to tell you, IMG should just be a college. Like there's got to be, they need to create another like uh, area of football. Like you have high school, you have IMG in these prep schools, and then have college because the kids they got walking around there that play for them do not look like high school kids. It looks like it looks like a mini college team with these guys. There was one kid committed to UCLA. He was like 6'5", 290. Another kid from Pennsylvania, he was 6'6", 285. I mean, these were grown men. But what I saw was it, it was a it was a good event. Um, the difference is now compared to you know 10 years ago when it's really just started was these teams are are diluted now you have a few teams that are really good but the top the the top talent is so spread out now because south florida used to just have the south florida express so now you have the south florida express you have the fire you have um you know defcon you have the mortals like all these teams but the south florida teams still have the most talent from top to bottom even though they didn't win the event, your team Tampa team up there in Tampa won the event. Uh, 
one of the players on their team made just an unbelievable play when literally I don't think they really had a second left. The guys, the time ran out the play before, but those referees somehow find found the magic second left. And they they made an unbelievable play. Kai Stokes, I believe he plays at Armwood, made the game-winning touchdown. And 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 that play basically catapulted them into the finals and they ended up beating, you know, all the top teams. But, you know, I got the chance to see Travis Hunter for the first time, the commitment of Florida State. And, you know, it's crazy. You know, me and Demo are biased. And I said to the kid, I go, listen, I know you're from Georgia, uh, and you're, but you're originally from Florida. So I'm going to give you a little leeway. So you better be, you know, I won't judge you as harshly if you're from Georgia now that I know that you're from Florida. And Travis Hunter's every bit as good as everybody says. Uh, he's 6'1", long, athletic, twitchy, can run, flip his hips. I, I think he's a corner. I know Florida State's convinced him that he could play wide receiver, but those type of kids don't exist. You get a Jalen Ramsey, you get a kid like this, you got to play him at corner. Demo could tell you this. When you get a corner that can literally shut down half the field, it, it, the other corner could be, I'm not saying it could be me out there, but it, you don't need that great of a corner on the other side when you have a kid this good that can literally, I mean, you remember with Daryl Revis, Revis Island, you shut down half the field as a coordinator, you could do so much more when you know that one half of the field's locked down. I mean, I don't think I saw a guy catch a ball on him the whole time there. I don't believe he gave up a catch the entire time. Uh, one of his teammates that is truly remarkable is Brandon Innes. He's a 2023 wide receiver. Now, I I don't give a lot of perfect scores out, Corey. You know that I don't give out tens in rankings. I, I gave one out to Patrick Sertain. I think Evan Neal got one. Um, there was maybe five that I've ever given out. He's one of those kids. Uh, Brandon Innes and uh, you know he's not the biggest kid he's not going to run a 4-3 but if there's a better route runner better body control better hands better at setting a DB I mean he ran an out route out route out route and all of a sudden he goes out and up and it, it, he beat the DB so bad that the guy literally tackled him and all and it was like one of the worst penalties you'll ever see in a seven on seven where you're not a lot of tackle guys, but there was a lot of talent out there. Now, Jella Kelly was out there. Who's a, a commitment uh, to Florida state. Um, you had Alfonso Allen. Uh, he's a kid that just committed to Arizona state. There was probably 75 to hundred division one kids. Your guy, Carmani uh, McLean was out there. He's going to be a special player. Uh, there wasn't a, there wasn't a lack of, this is probably one of the deeper and more talented groups of talent I've seen at one of these things in the last four or five years. Now, I want to ask you first, you know, coach, what do you, I mean, when you hear about, you hear about these seven on seven tournaments, they were starting to grow in prevalency, probably when you were around at Hawaii, did you, could you look at them for anything? Could you evaluate anything off of them? There's no tackling. There's obviously, you know, quarterbacks got time. They don't have to move. A lot of different, you know, it's 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 skeleton football. What can you get from a coach evaluating in situations and, and, at a tournament like that? Well, I'm not a big fan of 7-on-7. Seven seven. 
I know it's hard for people to believe, but I'm not. I'm in the minority here. I know that. I already know the kids going in. And the names all the fish just railed off were all kids we knew about going in. There wasn't like, oh, my God, look at that kid. He's unbelievable. Maybe one or two, but that's about it. But I'm not a big fan of it. I'm a big fan of it. You know, during, when you have your team and you go seven on seven in practice, majority of the time it's against the scout team because you're preparing for the other team's scheme and you're trying to show them what they can do. And it's, and it's always a pain in the butt. It's only about 10 minutes long anyway. The best seven on sevens I had at the colleges I was at when it was good on good, ones versus ones. They ran their, our offense ran our offense, our defense ran their defense, and it was one-on-ones. That was for about 10 minutes. And that was when you really had a chance to see it. But like you said, Corey, the quarterback's not under the gun. He's not getting pressure. He knows he's not going to get hit. He knows he's not going to get blindsided. So he has a little time to be able to go through his reads and all those different things like that and throw the ball where you might be able to see a receiver go up and catch it. My biggest evaluation was one-on-ones. Okay, the quarterback, you have two, three seconds to throw the ball, man. That's it, done. And you're going to get the ass sign. You're done. Sack, sack, sack. I used to go sack. Okay, and then you have the corner and the DB out there, a corner and receiver, excuse me, out there going one-on-ones. Now, to me, you can really tell the ability of that receiver to get off a jam or whatever he's going to do, run his route. You have a receiver playing, a DB playing man-to-man bump and run, bail, whatever he might technique he might be using, then you have a really a chance to evaluate that. Seven on sevens are good. They're popping up all over the place. They're becoming oversaturated like anything else. But a lot of times you knew the kids who were the good kids going into the seven on seven anyway. And it's a good way for kids to show their ability and stuff like that. But there's no really big surprises. To me, I really enjoyed the one-on-ones more than anything else. Now, Dima, I know... Let, let's correct this a little bit. When Pahokee came up and Booker T came up to Rutgers and played in that seven-on-seven seven tournament, which I thought was one of the best of Rutgers seven-on-sevens, when you, those were some pretty intense battles. Like it, the, those those team, I, I like, I do like the team as a whole. When you could get the teams to play in a seven-on-seven, seven. the All-Star ones. The what I look for, and 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 you could disagree or agree on this. I don't really go to watch who wins or this or that. I kind of, I, I kind of evaluate kids basically on how they'll compete. Um, like there's one kid, Antonio Smith. He's a big corner out of Gulliver. I think you you would like him a lot. This is a kid that you know he's gonna blow up, but you know you could find out if the kid's a little stiff. Can he change direction? I look at the technical side of the of the event. I don't care like whether, you know, if they make a big catch and they talk crap or uh, like all that stuff doesn't matter, but there are little things that you can see. Um, Like there's one player and I'm not going to mention them by name because I don't want to hammer the kid. There's a kid that looks like Tarzan and I'm not saying he plays like Jane, but the one thing that bothered me in the seven on seven setting is I noticed that everyone I've, I've gone to when the ball he knows is not coming his way, the kid doesn't run the route hard. And that's what I look for is like, when you know the ball's not coming your way, how is that kid going to perform? Because if he's doing that in seven on sevens, he's going to do it with pads on too. Like he's going to be lazy then too. So those Don't are the things. Don't get me wrong. You, you, you can find a couple things out in seven on seven, but you're not going to be like, ooh, and odd. Like, oh my God, I just found this kid. You kind of know it already. 
You know who's going to go attack the ball, who's going to go up and get the ball. And by the way, well, Miami, Miami Booker T and Miami Northwestern were up at the Rutgers summer camp and Booker T won the whole seven on seven. That yeah, was pretty fun. I can't argue with that. Wonder how they got up there. But anyway, um, as far as the seven on sevens are concerned, yes, I understand that. But sometimes you look at a quarterback in seven on sevens, you're like, man, he is good as can be. You put him in pads and the next thing you know, he's not the same quarterback. And, and very similar to what you said about receivers, Fish, very rarely do you see a receiver complete and run his route whether he knows he's getting the ball or not. And, and what happens a lot of times is people will shy away. Sometimes you watch a free safety and say, read the quarterback's eyes, go get the ball, track the ball, go get it no matter what. And sometimes guys won't do that seven on seven. Sometimes guys will. So you do find some things out. Don't get me wrong. It's not like it's terrible, but it's just not something I solely – It to me, it's one of many evaluation processes – of a young man. Yep. All right. Love me some seven on seven talk. We're going to come back. We want to talk recruiting, baby. Dan Mullen, can he keep up with Georgia? And 24 seven sports put together a list of the recruiters. Are they ranked the recruiters at the Florida State Colleges? And we'll talk a little bit about that too as well when we come back on the Fishcast. back on the fish cast and we're here to talk about some recruiting a couple of stories caught my eye both were done by 24 7 sports and we'll go to them one at a time first we're going to start off there was a story that it the the, the headline was how dan mullen has closed the recruiting gap with georgia the story itself didn't say anything about that it basically said how he hadn't closed closed the recruiting gap with georgia but we're going to talk about what he can do to close it. The bottom line is that Dan Mullen, I mean, Florida is not recruiting at a, from a ranking standpoint at a level with Georgia. Georgia is just, you know, they're, they're right there with Alabama kind of one, two with them. Florida is, you know, fringe top 10 where Dan Mullen is making up the ground at is by getting, high-end transfer portal kids. He doesn't get a lot of kids out of the portal, but he gets, you know, the the Trayvon Grimes. Um, we're talking Brenton Cox, Justin Shorter, Demarcus Bowman. All these kids were heavily, you know, high school All-Americans, and they're coming there and they're able to produce. And, and that's kind of how he is, you know, how he's closed the gap a little bit. They're, they're different. They're different in the way they recruit. I don't know if he can ever necessarily close the gap from a ranking standpoint, but is the, is the format that Dan Mullen is using, is it, can it, can it help him catch up to Georgia in the long term and build, you know, and, and surpass them in the SECs to have the, have more of an inside track at playing for a championship or do they have to get better at high school recruit? Well, well, <laughs> Here's my take, and it's a little bit different from, from where you're headed with this, Corey, but 
Mullins to me is a different kind of guy, meaning there's other coaches here that do everything by the textbook. You can read their tendencies. You know what they're going to do on third down and this, you know what they're going to do on first and second. But when you get a guy that goes completely off tendencies and is kind of like a free spirited guy, does different things and anything he possibly can to win. Then to me, it's hard to defend. It's hard to beat a person like that because you really don't know. A lot of these guys are so scientific defensive guys, et cetera. They go, well, the computer says this, they were going to do this on this depth, but you can't get a beat on that guy when he, because that's where, how he does it. He's a little bit off the radar, a little bit off, off the reservation a little bit. And what's going to, what's going to surprise you is that he's successful doing it. And I think players like that sometimes. And that's why I think even though people question certain things about him, I think people actually inside the program, players, et cetera, actually like that about the guy. And that's why other teams have a hard time sometimes defending them. I think it's their defense that really has to step up next year. And if it does, they could be quite a football team. I'm going to look at it at a different way. You take Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. Dabo got to Clemson and he, his winning formula, there's two different formulas. There's the Georgia Alabama way where you just stack the roster and you're more talented than everybody else. Or what Dabo realized was, I'm not going to be able to beat Alabama or Ohio State or these schools head-to-head. I'm not going to be able to put together one, <coughs> one through 25 elite-level recruits. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to recruit the most important positions and get elite kids at those positions. And what I mean by that is quarterback. Who did Dabo get? He got Dexter Lawrence, and he got Deshaun Watson. All right. Then he goes out and he goes, well, what do I also need? I need elite level pass rushers. He goes out and gets elite level pass rushers. What else does he need? He needs elite level corners. He puts elite level players at the most important positions and knows he could get away with less talented kids at other positions like linebacker. If you have a really good D line, you don't have to have three all Americans at linebacker like Georgia and Alabama. So I think that style is how Mullen could win at Florida. Uh And Mullen goes out, and what does he have? He has great quarterbacks wherever he goes. You know Florida last year signed the number one corner in the state of Florida in Jason Marshall. He goes out and gets Gervon Dexters and elite-level D-tackles. They recruit the most important positions very, very well. And that's how he's going to win and win a national title if he wins one, is he's not going to go out – I think Dan Mullen, he likes recruiting. I think he is under, I think he's actually underrated as a recruiter because you go look, a lot of their kids outperform their recruiting rankings. But he's not going to go out there and kiss some kid's ass. He's just not one of those type of guys. He's like, you know what? I am a very good coach. I'm going to put very good coaches around me and we're going to get very good players and we're going to beat you because my quarterback week to week is going to be better than your quarterback. My receivers, I've got better receivers and tight ends. I've got better D linemen. I've got great corners. So, yeah, they don't have elite level guys at all 25 positions, at all 22 positions like Georgia and Alabama. But just like Clemson did, he could win the same way that Dabo Swainy's won at Clemson. That's my point. And I think kids like that fish. Coach, Coach, here's the difference, Charles. There's no Georgia in the ACC. Like, there's nobody that competes with Clemson in the ACC right now. Yeah, but 
But Corey, you said it last year, and I hate to interrupt you. All right. If Georgia decides to go and play a five foot nine walk on quarterback, you know, like, uh, hey, it ain't going to matter what the other 21 other players look like. It's been the Achilles heel of their team is that they haven't had the court. That's the one thing that's hurt Georgia is that their quarterbacks haven't been as good as these other teams. And that's the one area that Florida has closed the gap, if not surpassed Georgia. No, but my, my point is that Clemson can afford to not have to hoard talent anywhere because the, the ACC is just, there's nobody, there's no clear cut. I mean, maybe North Carolina can be that school, but there's no clear cut second team. They're not having to challenge. There's no one they have to challenge to win that conference. They are the number, they are the undisputed number one team in that conference. Like if like, could Dabo get away with that recruiting if Jimbo was still at Florida State and recruiting like he did in the early part of the uh, early part of last decade? I don't think he could. Yeah, I mean, but the thing I look at is, all right, and you could go ifs, 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 but at the end of the day, all right, Florida had some weird loss to LSU. If they win that game and they played Alabama tougher than anybody, if they win the SEC championship game, they're in the playoff. Like they're not that far off. Like if they're close enough, I know like there's frustration because they don't have 22 all Americans all over, but Florida is closer to play. They're, they're not that far off from playing for a national title. They just need a couple things here and there. Now, is it easier to win it in Alabama and Georgia when you're stacking your roster top to bottom? Yeah, sure. That's why they're in the playoffs every year, like Ohio State. But Florida's going to have to do it a little different. I don't think he's – listen, Spurrier never recruited to the level of Florida State. As great of a coach as he was, and Spurrier hated it. You, He used to get frustrated every year that Bowden out-recruited him. But Spurrier did win a national title and played for another one. Uh, another one, like he had national championship caliber teams in the SEC. So you could win at Florida just like Spurrier did, like Mullen is going to have to. And let's be like we've already talked about it. Alabama is just a different animal. Like you, they you have to deal with them. You know you're going to have to. This is a year, and yeah, Florida lost a lot. But if Florida gets the SEC title game this year. This is the year they got to be at a. They got to beat Alabama if they're going to beat them, because Alabama is going to be very young compared to most years. Well, first of all, you have to love recruiting to be good at recruiting. Not like recruiting, you have to love recruiting to be good at it. Secondly, what you were saying before, Fish, was kind of like my point. Mullins is kind of like, hey, listen, I'm a good coach. You want to come to Florida to help me win? Come on. If it's not, then don't come. And I think some kids like that. Some kids need their rear ends kissed. Some kids don't. They don't want it. If they smell it, they'll go the other way. So I think he's, he's going to start attracting his kids that don't want that. So I think that's why he's going to be successful. When I was a coach, I never wanted another coach to get the beat on me. I never wanted him to get the beat on me, whether it be me coaching, whether it be me calling plays, whether it be recruiting. I never wanted somebody to get the beat on me. Oh, that's his MO. That's the way he does it. No, because down there, I'm over there. Well, I'm there. I'm over there. Down there, I'm over there. So I never want anybody to get the beat on me. And I think that's kind of what he does. And he's very good at developing quarterbacks. And like we all talked about, you have to have a great quarterback to have a chance to win championships and then put the players around them to be successful. And, you know, I'm a Florida state guy, but I, I believe Florida right now is on the top of the big three. It goes Florida, then Miami, then Florida state right now. And that's the way it is. Uh, and the second part of this, 
24-7. They also did a story where they they ranked the uh, recruiters of the state head coaches, one through seven, at least the D1 schools in the state. Um, and they put number one right now. They thought Manny Diaz at Miami is the top recruiter, which makes sense. He's definitely pulling in the most high-profile kids go through the portal and in high school right now. They ranked Gus Malzahn as number two. Gus just took the job at UCF. Obviously, he has a great reputation coming from Auburn, where he did a tremendous job, often unappreciated by Auburn fans, but appreciated by people like me. Uh, Then Mullen comes in at third. Mike Norvell at Florida State comes in at fourth. Willie Taggart, who's at FAU now, comes in at fifth. And Jeff Scott at USF and Butch Davis at Florida International come in sixth and seventh. First and foremost, I want to say that none of the six can do what Butch Davis did in Miami, but that was a very long time ago. So I understand why he's where he is now. I don't think he's done. I don't think he's been able to show that he can turn back the clock at a place like FIU. So I guess when I look at this, my question, my first question is, can Gus Malzahn be a better recruiter at UCF than Mullen is at Florida? Now understand that ranking-wise will never show that because the, uh, the rankings, the little websites are never going to be allowed to rank a UCF kid ahead of a Florida kid. Just don't work like that. We all know about that sort of thing. But when it comes to the quality and it comes to what they're looking for, could Dan, could Gus Malzahn be better at UCF than Dan Mullen is at Florida? I, I think Gus Malzahn is probably already better. But the one thing is, Corey, I, I showed you stats. Before Gus Malzahn went to Auburn uh, the first time around and he was offensive coordinator, Auburn never had really top 10 or 15 classes. I think every year there, except one as an OC, he had a couple top 10 classes and then he had, they were consistently in the top 12. And that's why Auburn played for a national title with Cam Newton. Then he comes back as a head coach and he had a top five class. He had a top, and this is at Auburn where the only people that think Auburn's a top five program are the people that are in Auburn, Alabama. It's not, and it's a harder school to recruit to, especially when you have Alabama in your state. Malzahn's a great recruiter, and he's also, he finds, he does a very good job of finding those second and third tier kids. You know, you saw with the Mason kid at Auburn. Here was a kid that came out of Park Vista. He was very, he wasn't recruited that heavily. I think he was up for the Heisman Trophy. Uh, I mean, he does a very good job of spotting and evaluating talent. You know my feeling on Mullen. I think he's a very good recruiter. I think he, he gets bashed a little too much. Manny's done a phenomenal job at Miami. And really the other, you know, we'll discuss the other guys. I, both, you know, two of them are just really starting out, Jeff Scott and Norville at their respective schools. So that's really you're going to have to evaluate them two years from now to really judge what they do. I mean, Jeff Scott was a phenomenal recruiter at Clemson, but USF's a different animal, you know? Um, USF, when you walk into the uh, school with that USF logo and 
three guys from Miami, Florida, Florida State walk in, you're fourth in line, whether you like it or not. Now, I'm not saying you can't pull kids, but that's just the reality of the situation. Here's my thing. There better be a national championship out of the state of Florida between Florida, Florida State, Miami very soon. Yeah. But we can talk about all this recruiting we want. It's not going to matter because they can keep getting these good kids in, but they better win a national championship because years and years ago, it was Florida, Florida State or Miami one year or the next coming out of there with a national championship. This has got to turn because it's all Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, LSU. It's got to come back to the big three, getting involved back in that national championship uh, realm. The other thing is you got to be careful about recruiting because here's what's happening. People are getting oversaturated with social media. People now are allowed to put up any kind of highlight tapes they want, any kind of propaganda. Any, and if you're not careful as a recruiter and you get caught up with that, you're going to recruit the wrong kid. Years ago, recruiting, you used to have to do a lot of groundwork, a lot of legwork on your own. But now with this social media, you can, you can make a kid look like he's really, really good. So you better make, better be careful as a recruiter and get caught up with that. Just start taking kids off highlight tape videos that these kids are putting out there and be careful and do your homework because it could come back to backfire on you. I, you know, I, I look at it from all, a lot of different standpoints for starters. I, I understand where they're coming from with Malzahn over Mullen. And I, I say that Gus Malzahn, not only is he a good recruiter, but he, he, he loves recruiting Florida. And I think he saw going to UCF as an opportunity to recruit way more in Florida. And if you look, and you know, I, I'm already seeing it. I mean, he had a quarterback prospect that Fish, you and I both liked. Uh, a kid actually out of South Georgia, but someone that I look at and I say he's comparable to the guy that's committed to Florida State and the guy that's committed to Florida, wouldn't you? I, I think the kid, if he, you're talking a kid that's like 5'10", maybe 5'9", five, 5'10". Yeah. Five, oh, sure. yeah. yeah. If he's six feet tall or taller, I mean, he's probably a top 10 kid nationally. Just from watching his film, um, the kid can throw his ability to uh, locate the ball and, and put it on a receiver's hands where they don't have to adjust that much and his ability to beat you with his legs. I mean, he reminds me of Joey Hamilton. Um, I, I think the kid has so much upside. And we talked about it. When I saw his film, I'm like, this is a kid Gus Malzahn should get. And like a week later, I felt like he was listening to our conversation because a kid was on campus and he committed. So he, and he convinced the kid, listen, we're going to give you the opportunity to be a quarterback here where the other schools were like, yeah, we'll give you an opportunity at quarterback. Uh, listen, Kyle Murray is five, eight, five, nine. All right. This, you do not have to be six, four anymore to play the quarterback position in college. He's a pretty special player though, Fish. They, that, 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 that's few and far between. He's no, I, a special I, player. And I think so this, is Joey Hamilton. Yeah. I think this kid has special ability if you go watch his film, his name's Thomas Castellanos. Uh, Corey will tell you the same thing. He has special ability with his arm and legs. If you're lacking one of the three major areas, height, weight, speed, then you have to make it up in another area. And if the, the kid can do that, that's great. You know, I'll say this is that you have to like recruiting the state of Florida. You know, I was watching the Jackson State, Alabama State game this weekend, and I was watching a running back from Alabama State. And I kept saying, this kid's going to break one. This kid's going to break one. And boom, he breaks a 60-yarder to win the game. Where's that kid from? Florida. Yeah, he went to a Mosley High School. I think I've been yep. yep. And I just watched the way that kid conducted himself, the way he ran, the way he had that little attitude. 
the way he was not going to be stopped. And I said, this kid's going to break one one of these times. And bang, he break, broke a 60-yarder, won the game, and he's from Florida. The second part of my question is, I, I was looking at this, and I, I read the story through it. I'm not going to mention the names of the people that were voting on this or how they voted, because that's not really important. But it's like, is Mike Norvell really a better recruiter than Willie Taggart? Are we serious? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know how Fish just talked about how, you, how hard of a job USF was? I remember Willie Taggart building that roster from scratch and getting 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 28 basically getting them to go eight wing 10 win 10 win even though well, Charles I, took the last 10 win season from them but yeah. like that team fish when he got there when he when he took over for a skip holds how bad was that roster it's the worst roster outside of when Mario took over at FIU I mean like yeah, but I'll say this real quick when you're at one of those smaller uh Florida schools you can take more risks you can take oh, that, more risks yeah, and the but, more risks you take, the better chances you have of grabbing a player. Yeah. When you're at the big three, it's hard to take some risks. But, oh, we're going to hope this kid turns out to be this player. Yeah. We're going to hope that he can't do that. I am going to say this, all right? And I'm going to say this. I'm going to defend Taggart on this. I'm not going to defend what he did at Florida State, whatever. I don't want to get into that. What I'm going to defend is he was the only one to really give Quentin Flowers a shot. He had Brandon Dowdy at Western Kentucky of another Florida kid who ended up playing for the Dolphins and got drafted. He goes to Florida State. His first, he wanted the kid from Indiana and he should have listened to his instincts. The quarterback, the offensive coordinator said, we're not going to go after him. We're going to go after someone next year. The kid goes to Indiana, starts and in, in Indiana's. Oh, in, yeah. All right. He goes and he takes Sam Howell. He evaluated the kid. JT Daniels, the kid out of Arizona State. And Jeff Sims, who started at Georgia Tech, he can evaluate quarterbacks and he can recruit them. So, and that's the most important position. And the guy, you know, recruited very well at Oregon. The reason Mario was able to take over a program is there was a lot of talent left behind in a short amount of time. That's Willie's strength. He didn't, he only was at Florida State a year and about a year and a half. Now, we could talk about everything else, but he is a very good recruiter. If people want to sit there and think he's not, they're just kidding themselves. That is, that's his strength, and that's why he's going to do well at FAU. FAU had the number one recruited class in his conference last year, and it's, not, it's no surprise. He knows how to recruit. There's no doubt. You know, recruiting is recruiting's not a science, put it that way. If it was, everybody gets a perfect class. What you have to have the ability to do is when you look at a player, and a player is good. Say that you look at five players, they're all good. You have to have the ability as a recruiter to say, those three kids right there are going to make it at my place. Those two ain't. Because they have some innate ability of, I have still something to prove. I want to get out of here. I want to be the best. I want to thrive. You got you to find that in that kid. Because there's good players that don't have that. And they're going to be, end up being duds. They're just going to be a player when they get to that university. It's the, it's the other three that still have that drive, still have that fortitude to be the best. That's the one you want because that's the one that's going to help you build championships. Corey, one thing too is, and we'll talk about Mike Norvell on this. We've discussed this before. The 2022 class is, going to, is basically going to decide him as a recruiter, evaluator, and everything. Right now they have a great class, that, but they haven't played a game yet. But that, we have to agree on that. Like, you can't really judge him in this group because these other guys, most of them are already been recruiting four or five years in the state of Florida, if not longer. 
his ranking is really incomplete now until the 2022 class. We can re-rank him in in January of next year, of this year, but we he really shouldn't even be in the rankings right now because the all the other guys have major head starts and we've discussed it. They they didn't recruit well last year. The 2022 class is going to tell us everything we know. Yeah, and I mean, you know, to be fair, Mike Norvell was never known as a recruiting machine or anything. Like that's not that's not his mo. That wasn't his mo at Memphis. You know, you and I talked many times. He did a lot of his work through transfers. Did some JUCO stuff. Um, you know, when he came to Florida State. They they recruited so they recruited so little in the state of Florida in the first two classes that it was head scratching. Like you brought in a staff, nobody on the staff had any real experience recruiting in the state. Um, and I I remember, I'm I at times questioned whether he liked to recruit Florida, whether it was even yep. interesting recruiting. Yeah, so, I, I, but now I see you know at least 2022 is changing the narrative a little bit. It has to, you know, there's no choice. No, they, they have to, but listen, the one thing is, and I don't buy the whole idea that a coach needs to be in an area for three years for you to have these, co- listen. No. The bet, Demo's from New Jersey and he recruits Florida really well. Coley's from Miami and he went up to Connecticut and landed Bjorn Warner. If you're like, if you're a good recruiter, it's like you could go anywhere in the country. Like I could put Demo in California tomorrow. Now I I know he can't stay on recruiting out there, but if I said Demo, here's five kids, go recruit them. I have a lot of faith that he doesn't need three years to build relationships with those coaches. I just I think that's just a bullshit excuse. Like no, you're either it's, it's good at it's overplayed. You're you're either good at it or you're not. I've met guys. I could tell you. Good recruiters are this are like good football players. You spot them right away. It's just like this. All these all these college guys now hire these high school coaches. Oh, because they're going to bring three or four kids with them. No, they don't. No. What happened to all these kids they were supposed to bring with them? I think maybe it only happened like one or two times. The rest of them. So it's not like like you said. You have to build a relationship. You got to build a relationship with the kid. The kid's ultimately going to make that decision, and he'll tell the people around them where he's going to go. Just like for some reason. In Polk County, and I'm not saying this because we keep talking about Polk County, just like Miami, the kids in those areas still have something to prove. When they leave there, they want to be the best at whatever school they go at. And you could spot other parts of Florida where you could grab a kid here or there that does the same thing, but he still doesn't have that burning desire. You'll find one here or there, but multiple guys in those areas of Dade County and, and Polk County have that burning desire to be the best when they get to that university. And that's why I just fell in love with those areas. Not not to mention the whole state. Believe me, I love the whole state. But in those particular areas, for some reason, I could connect with a kid because I knew what he wanted. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I do think that they have to, you know, like 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 you said, I, I, I think, you know, they've had some issues recruiting the first couple of years. And I, I'm like you, I haven't necessarily bought all of the excuses, but, you know, the one thing about their current class is at least it shows that, you know, if they had, if they, if they decided they needed to change the way they were doing things, they made positive changes. They made the right changes. 
And that's the important thing. Um, all right. I always love chatting, recruiting with you guys. We're going to come back for one final segment. Talk about, talk a little bit, kind of talk a little bit about the NCAA tournament and compare it to football. I noticed my team, Michigan, is still in the tournament. I noticed your team, Illinois, still isn't in the tournament. But we're not going to mention all that stuff. <laughs> we're just going to get back and talk more about it and see does NCAA, does, the, does college football want mid-majors to rise up like they do in basketball? We'll be right back. For the final segment of the fish cast we're going to talk a little kind of mix in a little bit of basketball and football the uh, ncaa tournament is going on this is actually being recorded on a monday so we're in the uh when the second day of the second round uh the team that fish and demo pick illinois lost yesterday not that mm. i want to mention that i picked michigan there's they're, they got to play tonight so maybe i'll get one over on the guys the one thing that I love about the NCAA basketball tournament is, you know, like everybody, you love these small schools, whether it's Oral Roberts making it to the Sweet 16 or a team like Gonzaga, who's, you know, the best in the, you know, ranked number one all season. And it's the idea that, you know, anybody can win. You know, Mark Few's been at Gonzaga for 20 something years, built that program. Uh, the guy, Coach Porter, who's at Loyola, Chicago, he's been there for, I think, 10 years now built that program, went to a final four in 2018, just beat, you know, Illinois yesterday, going back to a sweet 16. NCAA football, college football has really never let the mid-majors within D1, within, you know, within the FBS rise up, at least not, not since the days of Miami as an independent BYU was an independent because technically when they were independents back in the eighties and stuff, they were kind of, you know, that was kind of a mid-major sort of thing because they weren't in the SEC or the big 10 or the PAC 10 at the time or the big eight or the Southwestern conference. So they were just kind of, you know, they were just out there running rudderless ships. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Penn state wins one, um, you know, obviously Snellenberger wins one at Miami and that kind of started that, rise of greater independence. Florida State was an independent for a long time. I think South Carolina was an independent for a few years in between jumping from the ACC to the SEC. Um, are, I mean, is there, is there in college football today, is there really a road for a mid-major to they're, they're going to play in New Year's Six Bowls and there's UCF and Boise and TC shows they can even win those games. But is there really a road to a championship? Well, it's funny you say that because, you know, when you talk about the conferences, I mean, you're talking about conference money, bowl money, TV money. So that's why you have like Notre Dame left independent. But what was that song, One Shining Moment? So in the NCAA tournament, all you have to do is be better than that team, shoot better than that team, 50, 60, 70%, and you can beat them. In college football, it's a little different. Well, wait a minute. Appalachian State beat Michigan a couple of years ago. Yeah, I know. It happened. Yes, it did. But it doesn't happen. It happens more in the NCAA tournament than it does in, in you know, an FCS uh, beating FBS. But it does happen. But it happens more regularly in the tournament. 
So I don't see that really closing the gap because in the power fives, they continue to progress. Every time a Mac or somebody makes a move, they make 10 more moves above so they can't catch them, you know, financially, budget-wise, what have you. So I don't see that happening in the near future. I, I, I said a long time ago that the, 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 there's certain teams are going to break from the NCAA and they're going to have, you know, 30 teams that are these powerful 30 teams and the rest are going to be in another, another area, uh, less than that. So they're going to fight for the TV money, the bowl money, all this other stuff. The rest of them will fight for whatever they have to fight for just to survive. But I just don't see it happening in NCAA football as easy as it does in the NCAA tournament for basketball. I mean, two things are going to have to happen for a team to even make the playoffs. One, they're going to have to expand to eight. And uh, number two, I think that, you know, some of these teams, UCF being one of them, Utah is another, TCU, uh, Houston, maybe SMU. Uh, there's about five or six schools. BYU last year could have probably beat um, if there was a field of eight, they could have possibly won one game in the playoffs. But these markets are so big that eventually the bigger conferences are going to swallow them up. There's no, I, I just don't see how UCF is a program where it's located in Orlando, uh, what that that program could do on TV as far as eyeballs. I don't see them staying a mid-major for long. I, no, just, somebody will suck them up. Somebody will suck UCF. Yeah, them, Houston, these are big markets. And those markets are TV eyeballs that these conferences are going to want. Somebody's going to want those eyeballs because you're talking millions of viewers uh, in those areas. So eventually they'll have a shot, but things are going to have to, the landscape of college football is going to have to change with some them being added to the bigger conferences. And I think that's going to happen over the next five to 10 years. Well, then we'll really see if they go undefeated. You know what I'm saying? Then we'll see if they go undefeated. If they do, then they're as good as they say they are. But, you know, it's hard to go undefeated in the Big Ten or the, or the SEC yeah, or ACC particularly. UC, UCF the last couple of years probably, maybe they don't beat Clemson, but with the way the conference has been and where UCF was under Scott Frost, they would have finished no worse than second in that conference. They would have beat Miami and Florida State the couple yeah. years. That's so, why I think the ACC is a good landing thought, spot for them. I thought UCF really was their own worst enemy after they, you know, they end up going, they went and ended up winning that, uh, what was it? The uh, peach bowl in Auburn. And instead of running the, running the old FSU, the old Miami hit. So the AD coming out saying, you know what? We're so good. You don't have to give us a home game. We're coming out there. We'll kick your ass. You know, if Alabama wants to play us, we'll go to Tuscaloosa and we'll beat the hell out of you. They wanted to play hardball with Florida because Florida was willing to sign them up for something. But, you know, the AD, those, those AD, the AD had to play in a position of power. He's like, we'll go to Orlando once, but you're coming to Gainesville twice. Oh, no, we can't do that. And what happens is your window closes. You know, they go they go 11-0 another year, lose to LSU, and then the window's done. You know, some of those talented players go out, and they're still a very good program, but the window's closed. So, to me, when they had that short window open, they had to go – they had to basically put all their chips on the table and see where it ended up at, and they didn't. They decided to play hardball, and they end up, you know, going back down to being a 9-3 and three team, and no one cares about right. you. Now, Corey, the, say over the next two years, hypothetically, they have another one of those seasons. Gus Malzahn gets them to 11-0. and 0. They He's going to get it done. 
Gus is a different mentality. He, I think Gus can convince his athletic director to the say, AD you know what? Said. The, what? AD said, the, the, the new AD said that already, that we're not going to, we're not, we're not playing that jump. We're not going to, we don't need you to give us a home game. We'll play anybody anywhere. Yeah. Gus and AD already said that. So that's good I, stuff. That's good. That's good. I think that's a good thing. See, I'll say this. When I was at Florida State, we always wanted to play Florida and Miami. Miami didn't always play Florida State and Florida. Florida didn't always play Miami and Florida State, but Florida State always played Miami and Florida. And we always wanted to be the state champion because if we knew we beat Miami and, and uh, Florida, we had a chance to go to the national championship. And that's what I think this is missing. They should have they got that done and played Florida. Miami should always play Florida. I think it's a joke. If they don't yep, play. I agree. Well, I think that's it. I think we had a great show. A lot of great opinions. Talk some recruiting. Talk some seven-on-seven, seven, which Coach Demarest loves. Talk <laughs> a little bit about some spring football. And we're going, to see what, we're going to see what shakes down this week. And we'll be back at you next week with more topics and more football conversation. Corey, honestly, the only part of last week I wish that that got canceled was my prediction. So you guys didn't know it because I would have just switched it on you guys. <laughs> hey, like, Corey, I, go blue, man. Go I, like, blue. I like I like Gonzaga now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody likes Gonzaga after the day. Very good. Oh, man. So, also, well, stay tuned, man. Be good, guys. Well, you guys can follow us. Uh, this is the Fish Podcast. You guys can follow us on social media. And we're glad to have you guys on, you know, listening to us for another week. And uh, we look forward to speaking to you next week. I We're going to have a um, potential guest next week, one of Demo's uh Good friends. I don't, you know, it's going to be um, Frank Ponce. I, I spoke to him today. Ponce, I think he's a good man. Yeah, he's going to probably come on our show next week. A Another Southwest A Street, Miami. I think he went to Miami That's High right. with Coley and them. Uh, another, another guy that uh, has come up the ranks in the high school ranks to now being an offensive coordinator at State. And uh, we look forward to having you guys on next week. And uh, uh, we'll see you then. Be good. <laughs>